Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast. The Knicks have a loaded weekend. They play two games. They beat the Pistons in a nail-biter and lose in similar fashion, Alex, against the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, uh, two very interesting games. Uh, Knicks came back from big deficits in each. And one time we're able to pull it off, the other time not as much. So we will get into both of those games coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. This is all rebound, back up off the glass, it's good! RJ what he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane, Knox found from behind. Got it and one to Trier. Trier drives down. Becomes infectious. Becomes infectious. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm looking out my window right now at the Hudson River. Somewhere out there is Alex Wolf on the other side, connected by technology to talk Knicks basketball. The Knicks beat the Pistons 95-92 to win their fourth game in a row, and then nearly had their fifth came back from 16 points down against the Atlanta Hawks to take an eight-point lead with under 100 seconds left against the Atlanta Hawks in overtime. They couldn't hold on to it, eventually losing 140 to 135. So a whole lot to cover, Alex. Where do you want to start? Uh, we could probably start with the Pistons game. Just be happy to start, you know. Um, I, th- I thought the game against the Pistons, I mean, it was disappointing to ever be down 13 points to the Pistons to begin with. Uh, but... You know, I give credit to the Knicks for the, in this one for the fact that they never, you know, they came out really, really flat. They lost the first quarter, 28-17, and they just looked disinterested, especially in playing defense. Like, you know, it was funny. I, I wrote a recap on that one for Posting and Toasting, and I was like, you know, normally it was Andre Drummond that would always rip apart the Knicks. Like, he was one of those guys that just had the Knicks number every single time that they would play the Pistons and, you know, it would always be threatening a, like a 30, 20 game or whatever. And, uh, you know, he, they didn't have him anymore, obviously, cause they traded him and they had Blake Griffin on the bench still. And they had Derek Rose on the bench, uh, for that game. And yet the Knicks just got like ripped apart by Thon maker to start the game. And, you know, then it, Christian Wood kind of went off, which it's like, you know, Christian Wood, really, like, <laughs> and Reggie Jackson, too. Um, you know, so it was just kind of one of those games where it shouldn't have come down to the last couple possessions, but ultimately it did, and still, you know, minus... It's not like the Knicks didn't also just trade their best player uh, in Marcus Morris, and, you know, they still managed to come back and win this game, in large part thanks to Wayne Ellington, who, like, all of a sudden is playing like... I, I don't know, like a superstar. It's crazy. <laughs> he's He's been playing really, really great ever since the trade deadline, which is sort of disappointing in its own way. Yeah, and that's, it's, it's ironic that the Knicks were doing all they could to 
uh, quote-unquote showcase uh, their veteran talent. And Wayne Ellington was was maybe the one guy in that group that wasn't getting consistent minutes, and it was because, I mean, he, he was pretty much terrible whenever he played the whole year. And, and now that they can't trade him anymore, uh, he's he's really showing out. Maybe maybe for the buyout market, uh, we'll, we'll see. But uh, the Knicks, uh, assuming their goal is to win games, uh, would be smart to hold on to him because he's, I mean, three or four straight games now, he's, he's, he's been nothing short of spectacular and really single-handedly keeping them in it. Um, Alex, I was talking about in, in the podcast I did, after the Orlando Magic game, about how the Knicks won that one, but it was going to be really hard, even against similarly bad teams like the Pistons and the Hawks, to win consistently just because the Knicks are sort of on track to be the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA, even with Marcus Morris, who hit 43% from distance on a pretty significant volume of attempts on a nightly basis. The Knicks were, were the second worst team in the league in, in terms of three-point shooting percentage. You take him out of the mix, you figure they would be pretty clearly the worst. And in, instead, Wayne Ellington has entered back into the rotation and pretty seamlessly replaced the production from distance that Morris brought to the table. Obviously, he doesn't have the end-of-game scoring chops or the overall diversity in, in terms of his scoring. But, I mean, he, he's been nothing short of spectacular shooting the basketball. And you can tell just rolling with confidence and against the Pistons, they absolutely needed it because no one else could really shoot the three ball outside of uh, Reggie Block to hit uh, two of four. But I mean, they combined to make just five threes as a team outside of Ellington. So it was so, so crucial in this game that was so defensive heavy for him to come in, hit some big shots and he did it. Um, as far as other takeaways in this one, uh, Julius Randle, I didn't think it was great, but made just to, crazy crazy shot to essentially seal this game for the Knicks in the final 30 seconds of like high arcing lefty hook that banked in over Thonmaker and Christian Wood who both seemingly jumped 12 feet in the air to try to block it and Randall somehow got it up over them so it was a nice little showcase for Randall again when that would typically be Morris taking the shot in that situation uh, for him to finish there. But uh, Alex, um, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about that more or, or go over uh, some of the role guys, but w- what else stood out to you in this one? Yeah, that well, that whole final possession was pretty great. Um, or, or I shouldn't say final possession, but final possessions where, you know, the Knicks really, they only had a two-point lead with a little over a minute to go. And they managed to burn almost 50 seconds off the clock just by virtue of creating extra possessions. Um, you would have liked that they could have made some of those shots, obviously, but, you know, they they created extra possessions. First was a big uh, rebound by Randall, and then was a big rebound by Mitch. And, you know, both of those allowed them to create those extra possessions that eventually let Randall get in there and make that clutch shot that, you know, put the Knicks up for good. It put them up by four. They wound up winning by uh, three because Wood came down, made like a ridiculous three-pointer with Mitch draped all over him at the three-point line. And then Bullock made two free throws and bing, bang, boom, Knicks win by three points uh, after the Pistons missed another shot. So it, uh, it it was good. I really enjoyed the ending of the game. You know, it's nice to see uh, the Knicks hustling like that and really, you know, it, it was just such a contrast compared to like, I mean, I know they were down by a ton of points, but the way that at the end of the Memphis game, you know, before the little tussle, how the Knicks just kind of were like, ho-hum, it's another loss, you know, 
let's just lay down and you know die <laughs> and you know this one it was different it was like the they just obviously they were playing for a win at this point but it's you know it's nice to see the sort of fight out of them of and and it's pretty much been since that Memphis game that we've seen that fight because that was their prior to the Hawks game that was their last loss and even the Hawks game you could argue like they really they fought to the final bell um which is something that you've missed from the Knicks a lot of times this year so I I enjoyed it um and, and you know Randall's last shot was really clutch I thought and you know, I, I think that he's been showing lately. I didn't think he played that great of a game against the Pistons overall. Um, I was pretty underwhelmed until the last, you know, quarter or so. And in the final quarter, he he put up a really good performance. And I was like, okay, well, this wasn't here all game. But, you know, at least it, he seems, at you know, at this moment, like a guy that you can count on to do that sort of stuff. Uh, to sort of help close the game and all that, which is refreshing. And, um other than that, too, I, I think the other thing that has stood out to me over these last two games, and you can maybe argue that it was run into the ground against Atlanta, which might have been the reason that the Knicks ended up losing, but it seems like Mike Miller's found a very sensible close-of-game lineup to have out there in situations where the Knicks want to win a game. Um, he has he The last couple games he's finished with Alfred Payton, Reggie Bullock, Wayne Ellington, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. And it's actually been a really well-balanced lineup where you have Peyton, who can run the pick-and-roll with either Randle or Mitch. Um, Randle, who can sort of create for himself to a degree. And then you have Ellington and Bullock, who have both been shooting the lights out the last couple games. Um, you know, to your point about about them losing Morris and the, the shooting that he provided, it's like Bullock and Ellington have picked up the mantle and arguably are doing it better just from a pure spot up shooting perspective. Cause they're not expecting anything other than spot up looks by and large. And they're just like canning everything right now. I mean, in the Detroit game, as you said, Bullock shot two of four, uh, Ellington shot three of seven from deep in the Atlanta game, even better. Uh, Bullock shot five of 10 and Ellington shot five of nine from three. I mean, so they're just, they just seem to be getting better and better. Um, I kind of hope that the Knicks, as long as they're on this like pseudo playoff push, I hope that they don't entertain buying out Ellington because I'm, I'm actually really enjoying seeing this brand of basketball they've been putting out there. And I've been, you know, I, I'm past the point of really caring about tanking at this point because we learned last year I was all bored because it seemed to make the most sense. There was a generational talent at the top. You wanted to give yourself as much. Uh, as many chances at him as you could this year there doesn't seem to be a consensus of any of the top like seven or eight prospects it seems like any of them could potentially be the best one in the class and nobody seems particularly you know bullish on anybody and like you know also we learned last year that tanking doesn't necessarily get you that good of a chance of getting the number one pick so you know if the Knicks can keep playing at the level they are now and making this pseudo playoff push but at you know at the very least you know trying to get themselves into the territory of like 27 wins or so which would be a solid uh 10 win improvement over last year then i'm cool with that you know i think that's progress finally and i'm happy with seeing progress and maybe we can even keep some of these guys around for next year um randall for sure will be around bullock i, I hope will be around considering the free agent class i almost consider keeping Ellington around at this point. 
um, even though his price tag is a little high. I would probably decline Taj's option, but try to bring him back on a cheaper contract, you know, so that maybe you can make a run at some restricted free agent or something. I think the Knicks would be fools with the amount of cap space that they have this summer to not at least throw a max offer sheet at Brandon Ingram. But, you know, other guys you can look around and see and maybe re-sign Marcus Morris if that comes to pass. There's just like all kinds of stuff that the Knicks can really look at right now. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm cool with them playing some of these veteran players as long as the young players are still getting some minutes, which, you know, tonight they did. Uh, Detroit, it was a little frustrating because, like, Frank only got 14 minutes in that game. Um, Knox got 18 and Mitch got 19. And, and you know, that one, it, it was like, I wish they could have played a little more, but like the game against Atlanta, obviously there was extra minutes to go around, but like Frank got 25 minutes, Mitch got 35. Um, RJ wasn't even playing that well, but still got 22 minutes out there. You know, so I think as long as you can strike that balance and have uh, the young players get enough minutes to where they can still sort of develop their skills and, and, you know, test things out at the NBA level, then I think I'm okay with it. You know, if they keep kind of playing things the way that they have and, and you know, as, as long as it's players that you plan on keeping next year for continuity's sake, um, don't be like, like, for example, I, I do think that Bobby Porter should still probably, despite the fact that he's been shooting pretty well the last couple of games too, I feel like they should, he said he doesn't want to approach buyout talks, but I feel like they should buy him out because I don't think that, he's a guy that the Knicks should be looking to keep into next year. Cause I don't think he really adds enough on either end of the floor to really justify keeping him. Um, but there are certain guys on this team now that I've kind of sold myself on potentially keeping for two years, just for continuity and, and veteran leadership and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm happy to see them play at this point. It doesn't really bug me like it probably would have even just weeks ago. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton key phrasing, for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bike that offers a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders, and elite athletes alike. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon. But if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon today. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $2,000. All you have to do is go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-M-B-A to learn about their limited time, free Apple, iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N, fit echelonfit.com slash lomba yeah i don't I'm, I'm i'm torn on it because i just i guess the question i sort of ask myself is like where where does continuity get you like what what's what's the upside of it next like the eighth seed is is the upside next year and I, I guess you can you can answer that like, all right, like what's the alternative? Like you play the young guys, maybe they develop a little bit more, then you suck again next year, then you suck again for the foreseeable future. So I, I don't know. I go back and forth. And it's like, I mean, again, what it comes down to is the Knicks probably if, if you go through and like maybe this is a podcast in and of itself and we can do it like we're probably like in terms of overall roster talent and one of like the three or so 
worst situations of any team in the NBA. And when and when when that's true, you don't really have a lot of good options overall. And I sort of agree with you. Like against like like here's the thing. Like it like against the Hawks, I'd I'd probably be picking nits. Like to to say that they should have done things dramatically different in the rotation, but at the same time, I'm still of the opinion like I want to see someone like Iggy Brozdakis play. And I, and I guess I mean the counterpoint is like, all right, who are you taking out of the rotation to do that? And and maybe the answer is just Kevin Knox, like I who who's, who continues to he had a couple good moments defensively against the Pistons, but that was that was really it for the most part. He continues to show absolutely nothing. So may, maybe it's as simple as removing him and and Iggy can play some of those minutes. And then someone like Dotson who was doing really really well now isn't playing. But Ellington and Bullock are shooting the lights out, and and especially with like and and maybe that's I mean I think someone said um, I, I should look this up again, that uh, the Knicks would be willing to uh, buy out Wayne Ellington if he chooses that he wants to go play for a contender. Maybe Dotson could play those minutes. And maybe he wouldn't be quite as good as, as what Ellington is doing right now. Um, but it'd be worth it just because he's he's a younger guy. But Reggie Bullock isn't significantly older than Damian Dotson, so I don't really mind that. So I, I know I'm, I'm sort of talking myself in circles here, but the core point is I would I would emphasize the young guys maybe even a little bit more than they did against the Hawks, and we can get into it. But I think, uh, honestly, the Knicks would have won the game if Frank was playing over Alfred the final few minutes of overtime. And I get that Alfred sort of earned the right to screw that up with how well he's played overall recently, but he he essentially lost them that game down the stretch against Atlanta. And if that's going to happen anyways, and I don't think it would have with Frank in there, but even if it is, I'd rather do it um, with the young guys. And again, and even if they're going to win, it's it sort of... It's not like I'm. I'm not saying like tank overall else and like intentionally lose games down the stretch. But I also don't think there should be this this mandate to win as much as possible. The mandate should still be to develop as much as possible. And just just because the Knicks have won a couple games in a row against really bad teams, I don't think that should shift. Uh, one final point on this Pistons game before we move on to the Hawks game, which I, I thought was the more interesting of the two, even though the Knicks lost. Uh, I really hope the Knicks uh, pursue Christian Wood. In free agency this summer, he was a guy who who came out of UNLV, like super-duper raw, as a really skinny big guy with, with some talent, but didn't, didn't really have much of a cohesive game yet, and basically redshirted his first uh, four, or sorry, his first two seasons in the NBA, and, and really didn't play much until this year, and, and then has really been good over stretches for the Pistons, actually I mean, at, at points, like one of the more explosive bench scorers in the NBA had 28 in a game against the Spurs earlier this year, had 27 against Oklahoma City um, after the Drummond trade at 27, sorry, 27, 12 and five against Oklahoma City and, and then looked pretty darn good against the Knicks, uh, 17, 11, two and two and, and hit that ridiculous three with Mitchell Robinson, like right in his face. Um, I think it, it was similar to the one that I'm trying to remember who did. I think it might have been Jimmy Butler. Or no, was it Devin Booker? Was it Trey? It was, it was someone. Someone hit like a corner three over him that was just heartbreaking in our earlier game this year. But like where, where it should be impossible um, when, when Mitch is right up on you and, and he somehow was able to make it. But really interesting guy, I think potentially to pair between RJ and Mitch as a stretch four who's athletic enough to hold up one on one on defense and protect the rim. I have a feeling he's going to get a ridiculous contract this summer. And honestly, if he, if he shows to be a consistent performer for the Pistons, I wouldn't mind if the Knicks are the team that gives it to him. Yeah. I I certainly think he's, he could be worth a look. He could be one of those classic late bloomer players and just another, you know, example of 
a player that Knicks fans should look at as like, you know, along with the other guy that I just mentioned, Brandon Ingram, you know, that sometimes these guys take a while to blossom. So I think it's just another lesson of patience for, you know, like Frank and Knox and RJ, you know, who I, I don't know why I've been seeing a lot of people, maybe it's just because the Knicks have been playing well with the veterans, you know, getting more minutes lately. But I've just, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of hot fire takes like on Twitter and stuff of people saying, oh, you know, Frank's a total bust. Knox is a total bust. RJ is a bust. Like RJ can't shoot. I'm like, RJ just got back from an ankle injury. Like, are we really, are we really going to judge him, you know, in his first couple games back from a relatively major injury? Like, you know, I wouldn't say major, but you know, a, a an injury that kept him out more than a game or two. You know, it took him a full two, two and a half weeks to get back from that sprained ankle. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, I, to get back to your point, I could definitely get into signing a guy like Christian Wood, you know, it, who, if he continues playing the way that he has, is I would say he's definitely like a eight to $10 million player in the NBA, you know, for like a two or three year deal, something like that. Um, I think that would be pretty reasonable for him, and you could potentially expect him to start. And as you said, you know, between RJ and Mitch, that could be a pretty good, you know, starter potentially. Or if, you know, Randall's going to be here next year, at least presumably, so you could just bring him off the bench. And, you know, it it never hurts to have three-point shooting coming from anywhere on the roster. Um, I certainly think it would be a better way to spend money than, like, Bobby Portis. And maybe they could even make a similar deal to what they did with Portis offer him like $15 million with a second year team option or something. And that might be enough to scare the Pistons away if they don't feel like, you know, committing even that, that big money just for one season, you know, and have different plans for that money Um, or just want to keep their payroll down because quite frankly, they still have quite a few players that are making good salaries on that team. Like Blake Griffin, for example, who's still making like $35 million for them. So I guess we'll see. Um, but it, it definitely an intriguing target to go after. Um, I guess my, I just want to make like one last point on that kind of last tangent I went on that then you uh, rebutted there. I, I think the turning point for me is going to be the next time that the Knicks have like a three, four game losing streak. Then I think it's going to be the time where it's like, okay, you know, if the Knicks fall back down to, let's say, eight games or seven games back from a playoff spot again, something like that, then I think I'd be in support of like, okay, let's, you know, we know what we have in all these veteran players. Now it's time to play all the young players and just ride it out for the rest of the year and see, um, you know, what we have in the young guys and see if they can grow to end the season. But for now, I just don't have, I think the reason I don't have any problem with it is because, it's clearly fun for the players right now. It's fun for us as fans, I think, yeah. to see winning basketball for once and to see a team that's sort of competing for something, even if it's just an outside chance at an eight seed in the playoffs. And, you know, so for now, I think I'm good with it. But there, there is going to be a fine line where the Knicks are going to have to decide, you know, and Mike Miller and the new front office and all that good stuff is going to have to decide, like, okay, now's the time to like shelf these veterans and you know we know what we have in them time to put the just the kids out there and you know with maybe some veteran influence here and there just to keep keep things honest but you know start really focusing on playing frank dennis Smith jr 
uh, Damian Dotson, who's not even really like a quote unquote kid, but you know, he's, he's a younger player uh, playing Kevin Knox, you know, Mitchell Robinson, as many minutes as you can, RJ Barrett, obviously. Um, and, you know, still playing Julius Randall, I think a decent amount of minutes too, since he's sort of the only guy that you for sure have beyond this year. So um, there will just be a certain point where the Knicks will have to make that determination. Hopefully they have that in mind and are just kind of riding this fun streak for as long as it's worth and then know when to cut bait and just sort of um, become a rebuilding team again rather than a team that has any sort of aspirations of winning. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, the, the schedule's going to, they, they've gone through I think just about their easiest or they're wrapping up their easiest five game stretch of the season, uh, Cleveland, Orlando, Detroit, Atlanta, and then Washington this Wednesday. And then it toughens up again, Indiana, Houston, uh, Charlotte on the road, Philly, Chicago, Houston, Utah, OKC. So you, you figure they're going to lose something like six out. Of, maybe they'll surprise us and then they'll be really competitive, but I would think they're going to lose six or seven out of eight there. And that could, that could push it. All right, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this Hawks game. A, again, a 140 to 135 win for Atlanta over the Knicks. It, w- it was a thrilling game. I really, I mean, this was one of the more fun games of the Knicks, excuse me, that I've watched all season. Um, a frustrating end, though, after the Knicks were down. Uh, 99-83 uh, late in the fourth quarter, similar to the Pistons, or not late in the fourth quarter, but in the fourth quarter. Um, they make a big run to get back into it. Uh, and it, it was awesome because it was a lot of the young guys. Like Frank made a bunch of winning plays, um, both defensively and then um, like an extra pass to Wayne Ellington. And he made a big three. Then Frank hits um, like off an inbound. He, he made like a, a sort of like a, falling out of bounds jumper. That was really nice. Mitch had a big putback slam. Um, then with like a minute 20 left when the Knicks were, were, were sort of like culminating this comeback, um, the game I think would have essentially been over, but Kevin Herter missed the layup on one end. And then on the other, uh, Mitch got a rebound and somehow was able to save it. And it, it was one of those balls that maybe like 10 guys in the league would have been able to get to and, and Mitch with his length and dexterity was one of them. And it was just such a great comeback. They rode that momentum into overtime built an eight-point lead, and then just totally fell apart. Alfred Payton picked up a steal with 140 left on the clock, and all he had to do was was pull it out and take down the clock, and I think the Hawks would have, I mean, I don't know what the way things went, maybe maybe they would have still come back, but I would have, I think, essentially ran out of time. Instead, Payton like, just rushes down the court to get a layup, and he misses it, and, and that's when things sort of go to shit as, as Trey Young starts getting like a couple of, easy layups and then back-to-back possessions. And this was, this was really the backbreaker. Like um, Ellington was doubled with, I think this was a minute left and like nine seconds on the shot clock. He he throws a good cross court look to Reggie Bullock, who is either Mitchell Robinson wide open for a lob or a pretty wide open three pointer. As you noted, he he was shooting spectacularly in this game, five for 10 from three. I wouldn't have minded him taking that three at all or, or just making the pass for Mitch. And if Mitch dunks that in again, it's game over. Um, He doesn't, he throws it back to Peyton. Peyton doesn't really have time, tries to um, like, uh, bowling ball a pass to Mitch who fumbles it and uh, they don't get a shot off next possession Ellington. And, and this one, this one was just mind numbing for as much as I love the way Ellington is playing. This is like legitimately like one of the worst plays I've ever seen a professional basketball player uh, make because he, he's staring right at Mitch. And there's, there's just, at, at least on the previous possession with Bullock, John Collins was at least a little bit in the vicinity 
of Mitch, like Ellington doesn't even have to throw a good pass. He could just hook it up in the air and Mitch is going to get it and dunk it with no one close to him. And he, he just, he just ignores him. And it's, it's one of those things that coaches bake into players heads that sometimes backfires. Like when you have a lead with a minute left, all you want to do is hold on to the ball. But with when it's four points and you have a guy wide open, you, you just you take the basket. Ellington didn't do that. Um, John Collins got like a little putback. Then they got to get away with a foul on Julius Randle on the other end. Um, that was was sort of a bad no call. It was a pretty clear smack on the wrist. Atlanta scores again, ties the game, and the rest is history. The Knicks totally run out of energy. You could tell Randall and, and Peyton, who were just trying to run pick and roll after pick and roll to open the second overtime, were totally out of gas, and, and the Hawks go on to win this game. Yeah, I think my biggest issue, I mean, other than execution, which, you know, because then that led to a tie at the end of the first overtime, the Hawks then kind of came out and snatched it uh, in the second overtime in a Kind of a similar fashion to how the Knicks did in the first one. Uh, they end up going up by by seven um, with two minutes and 14 seconds left. A little more time than the Knicks had uh, on the clock even. But they just were able to keep the Knicks at arm's length for that whole uh, overtime. Second overtime, I should say. But my biggest thing, I think, and I already sort of alluded to it, was just that I, I think that it, I, I like that Miller has this lineup that he's comfortable with. And they've definitely been playing well together by and large other than the the few execution errors in this one but they were just so gassed it seems like and you know it seemed like they needed to make a a substitution you know even just put i mean it's a five minute overtime you know put frank in for two minutes and give alfred a little a little time off or whatever and you know you could have put um uh trying to think who else i it's kind of it's kind of bad that i can't like immediately think of someone else that would be able to slot in and not like potentially blow it but i mean you could have i guess potentially put rj in for a minute you know just even though he wasn't shooting particularly great um he was passing the ball pretty well and taking care of it at least so you know if nothing else he would have been moving the ball the way it needs to be moved um you could have even i mean you know, as much as I was just advocating for getting rid of them, you could have even put Portis in, who was shooting pretty well, just for a minute, just to give someone, you know, a little rest, give Randall a rest for a minute, um, you know, anybody like that. So I, I think there was there was room for improvement with how it was managed, you know, and then you could have, if you were putting in some of those other guards or whatever, you could have staggered uh, Ellington and Bullock for a minute there and then, you know, eventually come back to them to finish the overtime again. But... I don't know. I guess I you also have to factor in stoppages of play and timeouts available and stuff like that. So, you know, the, the situation wasn't perfect, but I just wish there had been, you know, at least one substitution in the overtime. And instead there was there was like technically one, but it was just literally putting Frank in for like 12 seconds for defense um, at the end of the first overtime, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, that that wasn't enough. So, um yeah, I, it was it was disappointing though. I, I would have liked to have seen five straight. I mean, I can't remember the last time the Knicks won five straight. Was it? I mean, is it possible that it, the last time they won five straight was twenty twelve thirteen, or it might have even been twenty thirteen fourteen? I know they had like one kind of strong stretch in that season where they were actually pushing for the playoffs and almost made the eight seed on that Bargnani team the first year. But other than that, I mean, I can't really remember the last time that the Knicks had a, a five-game win streak. Yeah, um, maybe when in 15-16, wasn't there that stretch where KP was scoring like like 35 a game? I don't know if they were winning every night, but... Maybe. Yeah, that they might have had 
I because I, I know that the other day that it came up that that was the last time that they had won four straight games was in twenty seventeen. So I don't know, but either way, it's you know, it's something that I uh, that I would have liked to see again. I don't know. It's just been exciting these last few games to be winning and competitive, even if it's kind of pathetic yeah. that the Knicks keep dropping back by fifteen points to these other cellar dwelling teams. But, um, you know, there's, I, I just, I totally just remembered when you, when you were saying your thing a minute ago, you had said something about the Knicks having one of arguably the worst like talent bases in the NBA. Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I fully believe that anymore. I mean, it, I don't know if you've seen like the, I mean, it's very, it's a very simple statistic, but the, the win loss numbers since Miller took over, they're like a playoff team almost. I mean, not a high level playoff team, but they'd be, I mean, if they played at the pace that Miller has them playing at right now for the whole season, they'd be like a game out of a playoff spot right now. And I think it's, I I think that we're just finally seeing that there actually is some talent on this team. I just don't know, you know, the, the issue is seeing it consistently and the issue is also fitting it together sometimes because you have to really balance like, there's a lot of defensive sieves on this team. Like Knox still is not a good defender. Portis is a horrible defender. Um, DSJ has his moments where he seems engaged, but by and large isn't a good defender. Um, Alfred Payton even, you know, it's like if he's engaged, he's fantastic. And he's been engaged for the last like five games and he's getting steals left and right and putting ball pressure out there and everything else. But by and large, you know, he's been inconsistent. You know, it's it's just a matter of, like, getting these sort of performances out of these guys. But I don't know. I feel like since Miller took over, it, it, I, I feel a little different about the roster, which is why I probably feel a little different about keeping certain guys. And, you know, why I was saying, like, I'd maybe be okay with keeping Alfred Payton another year and, you know, maybe be okay with keeping – definitely okay with keeping Bullock, but maybe okay with even keeping Ellington just because I think that these are the type of guys that if you want to start doing that sort of – uh, Netsy model of you know making these consistent improvements every year until eventually you kind of are able to get over the top. Like some of these guys seem like the type that that would be able to do that for the Knicks. I think so. Yeah, um, I, was, I was just sort of going through it in my head. I, I guess I, I was also sort of referencing the the long term trajectory of guys. But if you, I would say rosters that are clearly worse. It, it's it's Golden State and. Maybe Charlotte, though you could make an argument there. I'd say the Pistons without Blake probably are. And then the Cavs, the Cavs are, I would say. Uh, maybe not post-Drummond, but pre-Drummond, definitely. And then maybe the Wizards and the the Magic. But I think with the Knicks, what you're seeing is, I mean, this is, I mean, I, I think Miller is honestly just a better coach than what a lot of those teams have. Certainly better than the what the Bulls have and what the Cavs have. Um, that, that, that's sort of what I put. I mean, it's, it's somewhere between bottom three and bottom six, I would say definitely post Marcus Morris. Yeah. I guess it just depends on what you look at as far as long-term trajectory. Like, is it, is that only, you know, are you only taking into account the young players on the team? Because I, there's definitely some question marks with the youngest, the youngest of the young players on the Knicks, but I think that they've done a fairly good job of building up a pretty good stable of of good veterans on this team right now. Like, I, I do think, 
I think that Bullock is good and worth keeping. I think Ellington is a good veteran for sure. I think Peyton actually has shown himself to be better than maybe we thought um, lately. I think even Randall, you know, to a degree, and Gibson. I, I just think they're starting to build sort of a – and it's weird. I, I, I wouldn't even say that I felt this way a few weeks ago even. But based off how they're playing right now and how they've been playing overall lately, I just think that they maybe have more of a foundation for – future success than maybe we thought here and have a good amount of transitional guys in place that are going to be able to help the young players out in developing and stuff. Yeah. I guess I would just, I would push back on that because I mean, I think, I think you just have to look at like the teams they're beating and they're, they're all bad. They, they, I mean, I guess outside the Pacers, they beat the Pacers who are really good. Um, But they also beat the heat recently too. And the heat are really good. Yeah. I guess like a few weeks ago, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I just, you can, you can just go guy to guy. Like, I don't think, I mean, Wayne Ellington is what he is. I just, he's like, I, I don't, he, he would suck for 80% of the year. And it's great that he's, he's hot right now, but I, I don't think he's someone you rely on long-term Reggie Bullock, I think is like, he's like an, okay, he's a solid starter. He's, he's a pretty good shooter, but for the most part, I mean, he's been like pretty inefficient for most of the year until he started shooting well again the last few games when they played some of the worst defensive teams in the sport uh, Randall I mean we've, we've litigated all year so we don't have to go in depth but again sort of I mean not the guy I would want to build around in any meaningful way and then Alfred Payton I mean it, it, you sort of it, it's this weird thing where uh, he, he has been playing really really well but you look at it in the aggregate and, and just sort of the nature of the point guard position in the NBA, like anyone who is, who's a starting point guard who plays 30 minutes a game puts up stats because there's just so much talent at that spot. And the fact of the matter is he's still like, even with as well as he's playing now, like he's not one of the 20 best point guards in basketball. And I don't think he's ever going to be one of the 20 best point guards in basketball because he, he can't shoot. And that that's sort of the disqualifier at this point for all the other things he does well. And even with the other things he does well, he's, he's somewhat inconsistent with them. Um, Taj is 34. So you can just you can just sort of go guy to guy. And I, I just I don't personally see anything long term about any of this. I think this is a good coach making the most out of a really flawed roster against a weak schedule. And it, it's going to come crashing back down to earth. Maybe at some point. I, I guess my overall point is that I think these guys, even if I, I wouldn't call them long term pieces but i think that they're the right pieces for right now to help the team sort of develop an identity at least that these young players can start slotting into and that's been the thing that hasn't been able to happen on the knicks for the last x number of years because we have these players that come in they play one season and then they get jetted in the off season via trade or via just leaving a free agency i mean you look at last year that i i would say that like this year i have a lot more players on the team that I would rather see next year than there was last year. And that's, and it's not even close. Like last year I was pretty much fine to see almost all of them leave. And the one or two that I did want to keep, they also let go and started fresh again, you know, for the umpteenth time in, you know, however many years, I mean, Frank Nilakina and Damian Dotson are on the rookie contracts uh, and in their third seasons and they're the longest tenured Knicks like on the whole team. It's it's absurd the amount of player turnover that this team has. So I guess like my point isn't like I don't think that the Knicks are going to be, you know, winning a playoff series necessarily with um Alfred Payton and Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock and maybe even Julius Randle, but I do think that these players 
are ones that I would be willing to bring back at least another season to keep the sort of consistency and like for I, I hate this buzzword because it's really annoying, but like culture building, you know what I mean? That that the Knicks have been lacking for a while. And same reason I kind of hope, I mean, it, it sucks because they're going through a transition in the front office now. So I don't know if any of this is going to actually happen, but it's the same reason that I'd probably be at this point comfortable with at least, you know, giving Mike Miller next season as head coach to continue with this team, because I just really like what he's getting out of them. And I like that he's finally like establishing clear roles and rotations in in the game you know for certain players and player archetypes and you know creating a situation where maybe somewhere down the line as the you know as the um the younger players mature more you know the knicks can really have like a next man up sort of thing where there's defined roles for guys and you know defined roles on the team on defense and offense that guys can really just slot into which i think is key because you always have to be prepared for injuries and stuff in the NBA. So building that sort of system and culture and whatever, I think is very important. And I think we're finally, at least in some ways under Miller headed in that direction, even if he's milking more wins than he should out of a, you know, a not great roster situation. I I do think that there are some guys on here that are worth keeping enough to the point of like, uh, just developing something, you know what I mean? Like not not necessarily the players themselves, but developing something as a team. Finally, for the first time in right. forever. <laughs> now, and I mean to your point, I mean I think I I I would I would agree. Miller Miller's more than any of the players. I not not talking about the young guys, but the vets is is the guy to look at keeping. And, and again, we we've discussed that too, and I still think it should be an open process, but one in which Miller gets a fair shake, and it's looking more and more like. That, that might not be the case, but maybe uh, Leon Rose or whoever uh, ends up being uh, the leader of the Knicks front office ends up giving them that chance. Uh, I guess just to conclude my thoughts, um, I mean, guys, uh, Re- Reggie Bullock, um, if, if he can continue to work on his shot selection and, and I guess Julius Randle in some role are, are the two that I definitely want back. Everyone everyone else is, I mean, and even Randle, it depends on, on how they reformat their roster. Everyone else is kind of open to change. Alfred Payton, look, if he's like the backup point guard, I'm not going to be tearing my hair out. But I, I really, I mean, the guy, I, I just looked at it. His splits for the year are, are 43% from the field, 23% from three, 51% from the line. I, I just, I personally, I don't want to have to watch that for another season. So I hope they can improve there. And maybe they take a LaMelo ball or Cole Anthony and that, that sort of becomes your focus at point guard. Uh, Alex, unless you, I mean, do you have any more thoughts on the game itself? If not, um, I think we've gone pretty long. I'm, I'm, I'm okay to wrap this up. Yeah, I'm ready to wrap up as well. So this has been another edition of Locked on Knicks. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we will be back uh, multiple times this week. Uh, how many games are there this week, Gavin? I haven't even really game planned the schedule for this week yet. Uh, or we're, hitting the All-Star, we're hitting the All-Star break, right? So like just one more game? Is it just the Wizards? Yeah, they play uh, Wednesday. And I'm fairly sure... That is it, but yeah. I'm pulling well, up the this, schedule. This weekend's the all-star break, so that's that's got to be it. So we got one more yeah. game coming for you. We are going to try to we'll come up with some interesting <laughs> shows to do over the weekend and, or leading up to the weekend and stuff and uh, be in touch with you guys uh, more as the week goes on. But in the meantime, enjoy your week, enjoy your Monday, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. <laughs>